Oh, God, it's a season. Thank you for, for the good news that the king of the universe incarnated himself, born a baby, born into our human race forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for that. As we continue to worship, open our minds to this concept. Let it, let, let it be clear for us. Hide the preacher so you can get through. We humbly pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When they did the nativity play at the church school where you went when you were a kid, what was the part the teacher assigned to you? I know you can remember. Maybe I should ask, what was the part you wished you had? Did you want to be an angel? Was that it? Kind of have to be a girl to be an angel, though. Have you noticed that? No, really. You come to the Feast of Lights next, next uh, Friday night and you'll see. You just see. Of course, angels are not men. They're not women. They're angels. Uh, maybe like me, you wanted to be either one of the shepherds or one of the wise men. Get to wear your dad's bathrobe and with that little cockamamie golden crown. Probably one part you and I knew we would not get would be Joseph or Mary. You have to be teacher's pet to get either one of those two, and they're not one of us here. Come on, be honest. They got that part. I remember the part I got from my teacher. Her name was Miss Holland, Barbara Holland, wonderful lady from the deep south. And she, her mission assignment was to take a room full of missionary kid, I'm not going to say brats, but just missionary kids, grades five through eight, crammed into a little room. And I remember when Miss Holland came to me and she said, what? <laughs> Have you noticed in the South, they take a long time to say a one-syllable name. I mean, it's just like, what? <laughs> I want you to be a narrator. A what? A narrator. You mean narrator? No, please. And that was not a request. But that's what she meant. Do you know what the narrator's part is? It's been so long since you were in a nativity. The narr- you know what the narr- narrator does? Stand somewhere off stage where nobody can see you with somebody holding a flashlight behind you so you can read in the dark. That's pretty much your part. So that's the part I got. But truth be told, and here's the point. Any scene that you were cast to act in, any scene in the the nativity story, I promise you, is all about worship. Every single one of them. Watch this. Open your Bible. We're going to go to the scenes. In fact, let me just point out that when you go to the New Testament, it opens. It opens with worship. Matthew. Chapter 2, the, the, uh, the wise men come lumbering into town with, on those camels, and they're asking one question. Where is he who was born? King of the Jews. We have come to what? We have come to worship him. Ten verses later, they are on their faces, and it says, and they knelt down and worshiped the Christ child. It's worship everywhere. When you, when you, when you get to Dr. Luke, he starts the story even earlier than Matthew. He goes back to Pastor Lindsay's children's story, spot on, well done. That elderly child, childless priest leading worship, very same temple that stood in Jerusalem with its towering, magnificent facade inside is Zechariah. 
what's he doing? Everybody's outside, they're praying. Worship, worship. Every, every scene in the nativity story, worship. Luke later on will take a couple of old people, as you put it, Lindsay, and old man named Simeon, elderly prophetess named Anna, spotlight on them. They see Joseph and Mary come in with, with a little Christ child. And then the Bible describes them glorifying, praising God just in, in absolute worship. Every scene. Now, here's the scene I want to go to. This is the one everybody loves anyway. Luke chapter 2. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Worship written all over it. The one line that I had to memorize in that, uh, in that nativity narration was a line from Desire of Ages describing this moment. And I have the line because I've, uh, I've never f- forgotten it. Weary and homeless, they, speaking of Joseph and Mary, they traversed the entire length of the narrow street, vainly seeking a resting place for the night. Here it comes. Verse 6, Luke chapter 2, verse 6. And while they were there, Joseph and Mary, the time came... For the baby to be born, let me put it on the screen for you. And she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Oh, we love this story. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were, what's that word? Terrified. Whatever this angel is, the persona, the, 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 the very presence of this angel obviously creates this reaction every time this particular angel named Gabriel shows up. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Shows up to Zachariah, first word, don't be afraid. Shows up to the virgin teenage girl Mary, don't be afraid. Shows up to the shepherds, don't be afraid. It's not just the magnitude of his presence, but the the, the blinding glory that came with him. Wow, this is the Christmas angel. Let's read it again. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Luke champions three titles for Jesus in his gospel and in the book of Acts. And here they are all in one sentence, a Savior who is the Christ or the Messiah, and he's the Lord. He will keep driving home those three titles through both books. Keep reading. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. And this, this Greek word for host here is stratia. It means a military unit. So we could read it. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly armies appeared with the angel, with Gabriel. And they're praising God. Worship written all over this scene as well. Praising God and saying, we know the words. Let's read them out loud together. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. You got worship going on. Desire Desire of Ages captures this moment. The whole plane was lighted with the bright shining of the hosts of God. Earth was hushed. And heaven stooped to listen to that song we just repeated. Oh, that today the human family could recognize that song. All about Jesus. 
a song all about Jesus. I'm telling you, the, the angels are worshiping. The shepherds are worshiping. In fact, the, the very next verse, as, that, as the strains of this, this music is in their ear, glory in excelsis Deo. That's in the old Latin. We're going to sing this in Latin today. Glory to God in the highest. They go, and sure enough, they find it exactly as the angel tells it. In fact, I want you to read the line of them coming back. The shepherds return. They've been to that box of cow feed in which... This is so utterly astounding to me. The king of the universe is sitting, is lying. Just this, I don't know, eight-pound, nine-pound, newborn baby boy lying in that box of cow feed. The shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I'm telling you, folks, every scene... In the, nativity, in the nativity story, every scene has to do with worship. Something's going on here. And this week, I saw something I'd never seen before, and that's what I want to share with you now. Angels are worshiping. The shepherds are worshiping. Here's the question. Are you and I worshiping right now? Are we worshiping? We came to. I want to take this to a deeper level. I want to brood for just a moment with, with your permission. Brood over this verb, to worship. What does that mean? One of the books in my library is written by a gentleman named Michael Quickie, and he makes this provocative point. Whoops, excuse me. Who or what I worship describes everything significant about me. It's true, isn't it? Who do you worship? Now, what do you worship? Who or what I worship describes everything significant about me. Keep reading. Some have summed up modern thinking. So that's, that's the, the age behind us with Descartes' dictum. And if you, you've been through high school, you, you took a little bit of philosophy, you got some history or an English class, everybody had to learn this, this sentence early on. Descartes, I think, therefore, I am. That's who I am. I can think, so I, I'm a sentient being. I'm alive. And postmodernity, that would be our culture right now, is known by this phrase. I feel, that's our culture right now. I feel and therefore I am. But I love this. But the biblical way to express self is I worship. And that's some? I worship and therefore I am. Worship involves all that we are. Not one activity among others, but how we live whole lives. It's what we do 24-7. You're saying, Dwight, that's absolutely impossible. You can't, you can't have God, God on your mind for 24-7. And, and you're absolutely right. You can't. But maybe you can. Here's another author. See what you think about uh, Stephen Winward. He, he's trying to illustrate what he calls habitual recollec re recollection, this idea that God is always present somehow. And he says, in order to understand that, you have to, you have to be happily married. Well, I'm here to tell you I'm happily married. This girl on the front, 48 years with her, happily married. Now, only, the only reason I tell you that is because what you're about to read has to be confirmed, and I'm going to confirm it before you've even read it. They say, Dwight, how do you know you're happily married? <laughs> Every morning when I leave... Karen stands me up against the wall, and she says, repeat after me, I am a happily married man. 
I know I'm happily married. Oh, I can only do that with her on the front row. All right. So listen, so, so if you're happily married, and we are, can you verify this? I can. Here we go. Stephen Winward, in a happy marriage, the devoted husband and wife do not spend all or even most of their time thinking about each other. Some of you have been putting off marriage because you're saying, man, I, I can't be thinking about her all the time. I cannot be thinking about him all the time. Guess what? You can be happily married and not be doing. Not doing what? Spend all your time or even most of it thinking about each other. Keep reading. Yet they, the husband and wife, remain in the holy estate of matrimony. That's old English for they're just, they're married. Wherever they are, all of this, wherever they are, whatever they are doing, their whole existence is a being in love. Are you picking up on that? You're not thinking about it all the time, but you're there. It's just there. It's, it's the ambiance of how you spend your day. You know in your heart. Could it be? So here's what I'm asking you to th- kind of work through with me in the few minutes we have. Could it be worship is the same way? Come on. Worship is the same way. As Michael Quickie put it just a moment ago, worship involves all that we are, not one activity among others, but how we live whole lives, Right? Do you suppose it's that way with the angels? When they are unleashing this quadraphonic symphony accompanied orchestral choral piece over the silent hills of Bethlehem, they're nowhere near the throne room of, of the universe. They're nowhere near the heavenly temple. But are they not worshiping even on that assignment when, with the, when it wells up within them, within them all of that passion? Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. So here's my point. Of course they were worshiping. They were praising God. They didn't have to be in God's presence to praise him. Okay, but here's my point. What if... Now, you try this on for size. What if the verb to love is at the heart of the verb to worship? All the time. Does that fit? Keep brooding. I have a book, another book in my library written by Bob Ronellian, title of the book, Experiential Worship. And he makes a point I never thought of until this very week. And I'm going to suggest to you that it's becoming a game changer already for me. Now watch, okay? Ronellian, there is a way we can express our love to God directly and specifically. One word, what's that way? Worship. The beauty and wonder of worship is that... Now, see, it stops right here because here's, this, here's the new thought for me. The, the beauty and wonder of worship is that it, worship, is the only thing we can give to God that he does not already have. That was brand new to me. He's got the whole world in his hand. He has the whole universe in his hand. He owns it all. All the silver and gold is mine, he tells us in the Old Testament. There's one thing he does not have. There's one gift that he does not have, and it's the only gift that he receives from you, and that is your love for him. Come on. 
I'm not talking about the guy sitting beside you. The guy sitting beside you, he has that love. The girl sitting on the other side of you, he has that love. Does he have your heart? Does he have your love? Isn't that an amazing line? It's the one gift we can give to God that he does not already have. Now, I'm not even through yet. Here comes the last line. Worship is the one thing we do exclusively to express our love to God. The numero uno? No, the one. There's not a number two and a three and a four. The one thing we do exclusively to express our love to God. What do you think? The one gift that God does not already have. Dwight, do you love me today? I know you came to worship. Are you loving on me right now? That's all I want from you. If I want beautiful music, I'll go somewhere else. If I, if I want fine preaching, I'll go somewhere else. From you. I need to know, do you love me? Wow. You mean every time I go to worship and I have a private, I, I worship seven days a week. Every time I go to worship, that's what you wanted to know? Do I love you? That's it. I can get it from her, not get it from him. I want it from you. Because you and I are like this. Do you love me? Yo, Pete, three times I'm going to ask you, do you love me? Do you love me? It must be a big deal to him. Wow. So I'm praying this week, just encountering this thought, and I'm saying, God, the author offers no corroboration, no proof. Mm -mm. He just states, makes his case and states it. And I'm thinking, is this really true? Just like that, Holy Spirit said, check it out for yourself. After my worship was through, I went and checked it out. Everybody knows this story. Jesus is like three days away from death, from crucifixion, five days away from resurrection. The baby born in Bethlehem. And a bright young scholar comes by and sees him teaching in the temple. He says, I want to talk to you. I got a question for you. What do you say is the most important commandment in the universe? Jesus doesn't miss a beat, pivots in the midst of his conversation. And he immediately recites the great Hebrew Shema. Right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Okay, so supreme love to God and impartial love to my neighbor, that's the great commandment. But notice now how the scribe, how the scribe, I, I think of him as a young seminary professor. Notice now how the young man responds to what Jesus has just correctly answered. Only Mark will show this response, but the clue is in the young man's words. Watch this. This is Mark, Mark chapter 12, Mark 12, verse 32. Well said, teacher. This is the young professor. Well said, teacher. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. Mm -hmm. 
and to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Whoa, time out. Excuse me, young professor. We're not talking worship here. We're talking what's the greatest commandment. And you bring up worship. Why would he do such a thing as, as that? Because logic is leading in his thinking and he is spot on. That's why. He links worship, burnt offerings and sacrifices to this solitary passion, as it were, for Almighty God. And watch how Jesus responds. This is why we can, we can hang on to this, because immediately Jesus says, when Jesus saw that the young man had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are a wise man for your young years. You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from that time, no one ever, no one dared ask him any more questions. You are not far from the kingdom of God when you conclude that the highest form of worship is loving God with all your heart. Whether I worship him privately as I do seven days a week, seven days, or whether I worship him weekly as I do every seventh day of the week. Doesn't matter where I am. Could it be that loving him back is the only gift I can give him he does not already have, publicly or privately? He's standing in front of me and saying, what are you bringing me today, boy? What are you bringing to me today? Do you love me? No, 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 I'm not talking about that. I'm asking you, do you really love me? I can get it from her. I can get it from him. I want it from you. Whoa. Hmm. Glory to God in the highest. And my heart bows down to love and worship you alone, oh God. Hey, listen, folks, when we gather here in the sanctuary, we're not here alone. Look at the, look, look, don't stare, but just look at the people around you. We are all here, bound by one precious bond. We are here to love God in each other's presence. That's it. We love him together. We love him collectively. We love him corporately. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. We agree with the angels. By the way, not only on Christmas, but every day of the year. That's what worship is. Loving God back. All the glory goes to you. I got to just admit this before I sit down. This novel idea, this fresh new thought for me, you, you may have known it all your life. This is... This is so relevant because, in my humble opinion, it reshapes, it rephrases, it recasts why we come together in this space, why we have worship seven days a week. Why? To love you back. I've come into this space to love you back. That's why when I go to my little Bethel, and that's what I call it, it's my Bethel. That's Hebrew. Beth means house. Bethlehem. Bethlehem. That's a house of bread. And Bethel is the house of El, the house of God. My little house of, my little ho house of God 
It's a, it's a small study where I've met God every day we've lived in this community. And to me, it's sacred. When I come back from running, I can see the house in the distance, and I see the corner where my study is, and I say to myself, God, I can't believe it. That's where you meet with me. That's where you meet with me. So when I go to my little Bethel, I'm not going there just because I have a laundry list of, of prayer requests that I need to bring to God. I, I do have a long list, and it gets longer as the older you get. I understand that. But I don't go just for that. I don't go, just th- I don't go there just because, you know, good little boys always have their devotions before they go out into the day. I don't do that because my parents told me to do it. I go because I'm, I want to meet him there. And you know what? In that little space, I meet the Father, I meet the Son, I meet the Holy Spirit, and my angel is there. Four beings in one tiny little room. And now I'm realizing he's asking every time I come into that space, hey, you love me today? Do you love me back today, Dwight? Come on. You don't have to be embarrassed. I love you. I got these marks here because I love you. You don't have to be embarrassed. Tell it to me. Let me hear it. Happily married couples keep telling each other what they already know. Oh, of course I love you. Say it again. I love you. Say it again. Would it be any different with the creator of the universe who shaped you with a unique destiny that nobody in the human race would be able to take your place in? You have been, you have been raised up by God just as surely as Jesus was born in Bethlehem with a destiny. Oh, my. And all he's asking is, did you come here today, Dwight, to love on me? Or to listen, to listen to some good music? To meet your friends? Are you sitting in the balcony, Dwight, because all your friends are sitting in the balcony and that's why you're there? No, of course I want to be with my friends. And it's okay to be with your friends. But what's cool is to be with your friends who also share the value. Hey, we're up here together loving on Jesus. We're loving on Jesus together. That's what worship is. I'm getting it. And I have to keep saying it so that it goes deeper in my own mind. But the truth of the matter is, being alone is not enough. And so I come to this place. I come to this place because, and and for me, I'll just tell you, this is the most beautiful, uh, this is the most sacred and beautiful worship space on the planet. Almost for 40 years now, I've been in this place every single Sabbath, almost. This is beautiful space. But I don't come here to be alone. Mm-mm. I can be alone in my own little Bethel. I come here to be with you. I want to be somewhere near you. I want to be somewhere where we might even touch. We might even recognize each other. I want to be in this space with you. Let's talk about the, the FIFA World Cup soccer championship going on right now. Come on, you haven't been sleeping to this, have you? No, I'm telling you what. Which would you, okay, this, here, here's the question. Which would you rather do? Okay, so we're talking World Cup now. And the U.S. just played a big game this last week. I couldn't watch it because I'm at work. But that's okay. I, I like the, uh, the, the little three and a half minute summaries the next morning. Sure beats 90 minutes of that. You know, three and a half minutes, you see the whole thing. Every goal, every goal. Wow. Okay, so, so I'm going to give you a choice. You have two, two choices. Choice number one. You got your little cell phone. 
You're there in the dorm room all by your lonely self. And you're going to watch, you're going to, from Qatar, you're going to watch World Cup soccer. That's one choice. The other choice is I'm going to give you a ticket and I'm going to fly you to Qatar. And you're going to sit in that beautiful stadium with 70 to 80,000 soccer, or as they say, football fans. And you're going to watch that game, and I'm not going to name the country that the United States played this last week, but you, you were there to watch that game. Oh, my friend, which would you rather be? Now, I watched a little clip the next morning, and obviously American cameramen are focused in on the Americans in that stadium, and they are going absolutely bananas. They are dressed in red, white, and blue. They are painted red, white, and blue. They have flags in red, white, and blue, and they're just going out of their minds. Would you rather be back in your little dorm room all by yourself and watch soccer there? No. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, that's why we have church. We could all worship alone and love on Jesus and be loved back by Jesus, but we haven't, we haven't experienced all of worship yet. It's when you come together. And in the singing, and in the praying, and in the preaching, and in the touching, and in the silencing, all together. And it's like we're in this space. We share the same values. You know why? Because we're all Team Jesus. That's why. Team Jesus meets here once a week. And you want to be on that team? Come and show up. We need the team here. Oh, it reminds me of those words. We've, we've read these before. I don't mind reminding you again. Worship is the one thing we do exclusively to express our love to God. That's why these words that we're about to read were written, okay? It's exclusive to show our love to God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Don't you think that if you, even if the United States had lost that match, don't you think that you would have drawn strength from just being with people who have just gone through that experience with you? Oh, come on. It's to spur one another on toward love and good, de good, good deeds. Keep reading. Not giving up meeting together. The value of coming together is what we see in sports. It's what we see in community gatherings. I'm not alone. In this war, somebody else is in the war with me. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. The day of what? The day of Jesus' return. So, ladies and gentlemen, the little point that I'm leaving with you, what I got out of my study this week, is that what worship is all about is loving God back. That's it. And I get encouraged to be sitting... The pew right behind you, watching you do that, I get encouraged to do it well myself. That's what worship is. Loving God back. That's why I do it seven days a week. That's why you and I do it one day a week, together. I want to sing this song in Latin. We'll sing it right now. We've got the connect card screen on the, uh, on the monitor in front of you. Text for this connect card, worship two, just the word worship with the two right after it. 269-281-2345.
And here they are. I want my worship, private or public, to always be an expression of my love to God so that every time I worship Him, I love Him back. Don't you want that? Let me see your hand. Is this the kind of worship experience that you'd be willing to try at least? It might be something new, but you'd be willing to try it? Just coming here and loving on God. That means when you walk through that door or there, you just, you just say, okay, I'm coming now, Jesus. I'm here to love on you. I want to love you back. Doesn't that take rocket science? Doesn't take a degree in nothing. You just love him back. You walk into the space. The other one, I want to follow Jesus and be baptized as he was. Team Jesus. That's how you get on Team Jesus, through baptism. You put a check mark there, and we get it from all over the country and world. You put a check mark there. We'll be in touch with you electronically. But if you've not been baptized, now come on, I'm, I'm serious. If you haven't been baptized, why put it off any longer? We need you on the team. Jesus needs you on the team. He's loving on you. Come and join us as we love him back together. Put a check mark there. We'll be in touch. All right, we're going to stand. We're going to stand because we're going to sing in Latin today. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Would you stand to your feet? There's a wonderful, wonderful Christmas carol, Angels We Have Heard on High. And we've got to be standing for this, not sitting. Standing and just let it, let, just like the quadraphonic choir there over the hills of Bethlehem, let's let, let's let the rafters ring together. <laughs> 